Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I've, you know me, I'm always theorizing, and I've got a new theory that I want, I want to run by you. You know, you've been shooting them down left and right lately. Uh, you were not into player tanking. There's been a few other misfires on my behalf, but... Here's the latest I've got for you. Uh Now, we've talked about the Warriors effect and how everyone's chasing Golden State and Houston's obsession with Golden State. and We're trying to build a a roster that can uh, knock them out. And we've also talked about teams that are maybe stuck in the middle where they're almost kind of, you know, not inclined to spend big because they're going to wait the Warriors out. You know, that was kind of a popular theory there for a couple of years because, like, what's the point of paying huge luxury tax if you're not going to be able to beat Golden State in the playoffs? Sure. I'm wondering, though, with these really bad teams, these really, really bad teams, whether there's a Warriors effect, too, where they don't even try now, if you're a bad team, to pretend that things are okay, right? Like, Thibodeau is obviously a real example. He just wants everybody's dirty laundry wide open, out in the air for everyone to see, right, in Minnesota. He could not care less. Yeah. I look at the Cleveland Cavaliers. Can we even list off a top 10 of dysfunctional things that have happened to the Cavaliers here in the last week alone? I mean, the coaching change, the interim coach being bodged, everybody's turning on Colin Sexton, even though he's been in the NBA for <laughs> yeah. like 72 hours. Everybody wants to be traded. J.R. Smith basically comes out and says, yeah, please trade me. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? Yep. And then you're Washington Wizards too. Now, obviously, talent level, you're not on the same you know, kind of grouping with Cleveland. Right. But I also feel like there hasn't been any attempt whatsoever by Washington star players this year to even pretend like they're getting along, you know, and (laughs) (laughs) and I know we have this uh, embargo on Wizards talk, but you got a chance to see them in person. You were there for the Dwight Howard game. And I guess just real quick, I mean, do you believe this theory I'm espousing that like it's kind of the new NBA, so why fake it? If, it, if Golden State's going to win anyways, what's your uh, motivation for trying to <laughs> keep things in-house? Now that you've seen the Wizards in person, do you agree with this theory? Yeah, why even bother feigning chemistry? Because everyone knows the Warriors are going to win anyways. <laughs> We're not here to bullshit each other. Let's just be honest. Um, I appreciate that theory. By the way, in general, I appreciate all your theories. Player tanking was a, a bit of a nadir for you, but I think in general you're more creative than people realize, and so I, I like some of the stuff you bring to the table here. As far as dysfunction is concerned, you're right that the Wizards are probably the most talented team of those three, but uh, they can rival anyone as far as open contempt for one another. Um, I think... I think the Wolves are probably the clubhouse leaders on that front. The Cavs, I would say, I mean, the Cavs, everyone knew it was going to be bad. It is shocking how much has gone wrong there within the first, like, 14 days of the season. I mean, the Sexton stuff was one thing, and then we also saw the news that Kobe Altman had a handshake agreement to trade Kyle Korver that he has since reneged on and and trade Kyle Korver in the event that LeBron left. And clearly that hasn't happened. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I would connect it to the Warriors necessarily, but I do appreciate how openly dysfunctional, like the bottom five teams in the league have gotten. 
Look, if it's not Golden State's fault, then we probably have to blame social media because it's a lot harder to like fake it when you're on social media all day long and everybody's, you know, subtweeting and, and liking and, you know, going back and forth with the trash talk. So maybe there's a, an impact going on there, too. But you saw Washington in person. And I just wanted a, a quick summary because I, I, I don't like, you know, airing your private text messages to me in public. Uh-huh. But I do believe you use the phrase a new low. And <laughs> that that rose my tentacles. It had me a little bit concerned. What about, you know, this season and you going to see that game? I believe it was Dwight Howard's debut mm-hmm. made you utter the words a new low. Well, it's interesting, and we can talk a little bit more about it at the end, uh, but sure, let's get into it right at the top, too, <laughs> um, because for me, it was legitimately eye-opening because I wasn't reporting in any traditional sense when the Wizards imploded at the end of the Gilbert Arenas era, and there was the gun situation, but then also, like, after the gun stuff happened in the locker room, there was another year after that where it was kind of like the last gasps of a failed era and, and it just got progressively darker and the writing was on the wall and it just everyone knew where it was headed and it was not headed to a good place and so I wasn't in the locker room for any of that I, I didn't know anyone around the team really I was just sort of experiencing that as a fan and um, watching the Wizards against the Thunder on Friday night on national television down by 30 at halftime and then watching them have to come out and go through the motions in the second half i mean the wall energy was just shocking like he was he was bad but the whole team was bad i mean bradley beal i guess had 30 or close to it um dwight was the was the lone bright spot and really i would say the darkest stretch of the night for me was watching Dwight play really well through the first eight minutes of the game and having to confront the possibility that he really could be the savior and that that's how the season was going to go because I I think I would rather have the team relocate than have to spend the next seven months worshiping <laughs> Dwight Howard. <laughs> oh, dear. But, um, but yeah, it is kind of strange to watch it all kind of deteriorate up close and um and what i would say i think there's something to what you're describing at the top again it's not a warriors thing but i do think everybody is so tired of each other and so tired in general that they don't really have the energy to do anything more than go through the motions post game and like austin rivers is bringing the most energy of anyone on the team, at least acknowledging that this is screwed up and not acceptable, whereas everybody else is just kind of mumbling through these cliches about playing with pride and having to play better defense. And uh, and so seeing that up close has been really strange. Yeah, I think Austin Rivers is conducting himself like he's on the campaign tour right now. So I'm interested to see, will his energy keep up after election day? Because at some point he's going to realize like he's not actually up for a swing seat and <laughs> it's going to be like, oh, wait, I've been like going on these like 15 minute rants in every single city that I go to. I've been impressing all the media members with my uh, energy. Oh, wow. Wait, wait, I'm actually just a professional basketball player, not some like house rep candidate. But a couple other thoughts. They showed, I think, Ted Leonsis was in line at the concession stand during the Wizards game, if I'm not mistaken. I was expecting him to come back to his seat with like a bottle of vodka in each hand because, I mean, what do you do if you're the owner in that situation? How has he not completely lost his mind? 
Uh, and another thought that you, you were bringing up those Arenas Wizards or like the post Arenas Wizards. Have you heard this whole theory about like LA nightlife is undefeated? Like if you come into LA like the night before your game, all the guys get, you know, they party sure. and they're all hung over afterwards. I actually think the Nike employee store is undefeated to a certain degree because I remember one game between Washington and Portland at the at the Rose Garden back when they still called it the Rose Garden mm-hmm. where the Wizards and it was just like this, you know, Looney Tunes version of the Wizards were all at the game basically just talking about how much money they had spent at the employee store and then they got run off the court by 35 points but none of them <laughs> seemed upset at all and it was clear like their business trip you know how guys say oh it's a business trip when we go on the road right yeah like their business trip was spending money at nike it wasn't actually trying to win a basketball game in the arena so i guess my point there is there's been a lot of lows here in washington you know <laughs> there, over the last decade sure have. what but year I, was I, that do you remember what year that 30 point loss was I don't, but we should basketball reference it because I'm sure we could figure it out just, uh, you know, piecing it together. But I because, didn't want to just hold on, yeah. though, because there was one year where the I think it was Whitman's final season in Washington where the Wizards went out to Portland. And now a lot of people don't know this, but again, there's something to your crazy theory here, because teams do tend to take an extra day in Portland because Nike and Adidas are out there. So a lot of teams will plan an extra day so that players can go meet with their shoe company people and do legitimate business in Portland. And so the Wizards did that one year in Portland, and the players took it upon themselves to use that extra day to plan an impromptu trip to Las Vegas. And (laughs) that, that somehow got back to Randy Whitman in advance of their, like, night trip to Las Vegas... And Whitman responded by planning an 8 a.m. practice for the following day, which forced the Wizards to cancel their trip to Las Vegas. It was organized by John Wall and I think maybe Jared Dudley. But anyways, they had to cancel it at the last minute. And the players were very upset about that and then proceeded to come out and get destroyed by the Blazers. And I think that's when they officially quit on Randy Whitman. And uh, all of which is to say, you're right that this dysfunction has been lurking there in D.C., particularly with this group for several years now. And Andrew, I'm just picturing Mr. D-Ruggs by himself at Tau, you know, <laughs> looking around. Like, where'd the Wizards go? They didn't show up. John said he was going to be here. Um, I think it was – I think actually the incident I'm describing was pre-Wall, if I'm okay. not mistaken. Um, but, you know, there was – I would have to, you know, go through and fact check, like I said. But I didn't do this just to twist the, uh, you know, twist the knife uh, into your wizard's loving heart. Because yeah. I did have a, a real more serious question for you. If you were a player, okay, let's say you're Ron Baker. You know, people have said you look like him. Or let's say, you know, you're a two-way contract guy. You're getting your start as an NBA player this season, okay? You're going to be a rookie, end-of-the-bench type guy. Would you rather play... For the Washington Wizards, mm-hmm. the Cleveland Cavaliers, or the Minnesota Timberwolves. If you could, you know, Ooh. if you're, I'm your agent, right? And we're hashing this out. Say, hey, Andrew, there's a lot of bad teams out there. We've got some real interest in your services. Uh, where would you want to play? Here are your three options. Which do you pick? That is a very tough question. Um, there's a lot to consider. For me personally, I'm ready to 
cross the calves off at the outset because I'm not, I don't really ever want to work for Dan Gilbert in any context. And I think that's true of the majority of people who are already in Cleveland. And so that situation, I just think that like, you're going to have a really hard time finding a silver lining in Cleveland for at least the next year or two. Um, so Cleveland is out. Wait, a decade or two or a year or two? <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be nice. At well, least it, the next it, year or two. It could be 10 years, Andrew, but keep going. Okay. So Minnesota, though, we've been over this in the past. I think we addressed it on a, a couple of episodes over the summer. Minneapolis does seem great. And I would not necessarily want to be in Minneapolis through the winter, but I've heard good things um, almost universally from everybody who hangs out in Minneapolis. And so that has some appeal. Jimmy Butler's probably not going to be there for more than a couple more weeks. Josh Akogi, a rookie, looks great. Um, Carl Towns isn't going to be the guy who's out there cracking the whip, demanding greatness out of me every day. So that's nice. Uh, Ultimately, though, the problem is Minnesota is you're in the West and they're sort of destined to disappoint regardless. I think I would still have to choose Washington because even moderate success is celebrated as if it is meaningful and and the bar is pretty low. And like, look, the Wizards could still make like the seventh seed this year. So Washington is probably the best bet, in my opinion. Okay, I actually had the same uh, same conclusion ultimately, but different reasons. So okay. let me start with Cleveland first of all. If I was like an upcoming player, um, I would want to know like that practice was actually going to take place, and not knowing if I had a coach would be a real problem for me. And this isn't like it was a <laughs> a twenty four hour thing, right? This is like an extended thing where. If you're Larry Drew, aren't you carrying this baggage for the rest of the season? Like, doesn't this like, stick in your head like the whole rest of the way and sort of impact like how you are as a coach? Like, it almost reminds me of like the Lionel Hollins era in Brooklyn, where he finally just got like so angry at life that he was just like barely even caring. But yeah, look, a like brass knuckled negotiation over who's going to be the coach during the middle of a season when there's games, practices, and shootarounds uh, happening. I don't think I could personally handle that level of dysfunction. And I think it's such a bad look that they're all coming out and blaming Colin Sexton. Look, the kid can't play. Like, he's not very good right now. It's That's so true. early. <laughs> it's I know, but, like, he's four, he's 14 years old. He's trying to be, like, the point guard for a team. These guys are coming off these deep playoff runs, and they're used to LeBron doing all of the work for them. To scapegoat yeah. the youngest guy on the team – uh, is just a terrible idea, especially when he doesn't even really have a coach right now. I mean, come on. You know what my so, theory on that is, though? And for anyone who isn't addicted to the basketball internet, essentially what happened is a couple Cavs have come out and said that Colin Sexton just isn't good and shouldn't be out there on the court. And um, at least that's my understanding of it. Yeah, they, they just said that he's basically doesn't know how to play. Like, he doesn't know the ins and outs. Probably he doesn't know how to set them up. He's probably you know, being viewed as a little bit too selfish, I would guess. I mean, usually when they say a point guard doesn't know how to play, that's uh, code word for he doesn't know he's how to get me the ball. He's not getting me the ball. Yeah, exactly. But my additional theory there is that the players and maybe the coaching staff as well understand that Sexton is Dan Gilbert's guy and and that's true and that was true even before the draft that Sexton worked out in front of Dan Gilbert 
and wowed Gilbert. And I think it was after, like, the day after the finals loss. And um, he just kind of won over ownership. And I think that every shot at Colin Sexton is also a shot at Dan Gilbert. This is code. Look, I can't think of anything I would like to be less in the world than Dan Gilbert's guy. I mean, that is, <laughs> <laughs> that is awful. So that's how I'm viewing Cleveland right now. I think that they might be dead last. Now, Minnesota has kind of turned the corner for me. If you had asked me a month ago, would you want to play for the Timberwolves? I would have talked myself into the idea of like, look, hey, I'm a young guy. I can kind of weasel my way into this this core with a uh, cat and Wiggins and you know maybe I can wind up being like an Akogi like you're describing we're like okay you know that's a guy who could be there for a while and have a kind of a nice role right yeah after watching and listening to Jimmy over the last two weeks that has now become a team that I would be embarrassed to be seen in public (laughs) with I mean he's on on the bench against the Warriors waving a towel you know along with the Oracle crowd like I, sitting there next to him, and Taj Gibson's just kind of like hiding his face and stuff. It's like I would just get up and go to the locker room and just say I had a stomach virus or something like that. I would be hitting the eject button immediately from that. Yeah. And then on top of that, Derek goes for fifty, and Jimmy comes, you know, swaggering in to interrupt the press conference because lo and behold, someone wants to talk to someone besides him. Um, and that was again just incredibly awkward and. Uh, you know, give Derek Rose credit for for handling that situation and taking the high road and just being like, okay, man, like whatever, <laughs> like you know, please go away. But Minnesota is now to the point where like I would be physically uncomfortable being a part of their squad. So they they would be 29th to me, and that leaves Washington at 28th. And I think your your ultimately your goal would be to sort of be an embedded reporter with the Wizards, you know, go out with them every single night. This is clearly a team that's partying six to seven nights a week. You know, I mean, that that would be a very obvious excuse for how they're playing. I think that might be true, but let's be very clear. They're not partying together. They're they're all in their own separate world. So as a rookie, you would have a really tough choice to make. I think the safest bet would be to cast your lot with Bradley Beal, but I don't even know at this point. Look, I'm I'm trying to be friends with every single person on the team. I'm trying to party hop night to night. And then I'm just assembling material for the book, right? It's like the Wizards, like the throwback era, you know, team to like back before, you know, everyone was nerdy and just spent all day looking at their shot charts and improving their games, right? Like this is like the the true part of your uh, you know, destination Washington DC and then just try to basically turn a 10-day contract into a book deal. I think that would ultimately be my goal here, and I think the Wizards would have plenty of material uh, to kind of push along that proposal. Yeah, well, I mean, you're speaking certainly as a writer, and... um, Look, Lee Lee Jenkins taught me well. We know he's doing the same thing there with the Clippers. (laughs) Uh, I think that's all good logic. I do have a couple things to add. Number one, on the Wolves, you're right. Like, I mean... I haven't been following Jimmy's quotes as closely as I probably should have been, but some of the explanations he's come up with for why he's resting are so insulting to our collective intelligence that it's driving me much crazier than it was two weeks ago. But listening to him sit there and not only pretend that he's doing all this just to protect his body, which... 
by the way, is also a reminder that like other teams should be worried about trading for him because he should be. He's, I don't think he is resting to protect his body, but he should be because he's broken down each of the last three or four seasons. Um, but additionally, he is just he's indignant at anyone who dares ask him whether any of this is connected to the trade requests over the last like two months and it's just like dude i don't know what reality you've been living in but like we all have eyes we've all read the quotes we've heard we've seen what happened at practice we listened to your interview with rachel nichols you can't now turn around and be like nope this is just regular maintenance i don't know why everyone's making such a big deal out of it and so in that respect i am now almost as down on jimmy butler as you have been over the last six weeks yeah, I mean, especially when he's blaming the media for like making all these distractions and making up stories. Right? Did we make up? Like, did we make up the on. Rachel interview sit down? I'm pretty sure we all watched it. Um, yeah, I I think he's just got to be expecting that he should have been traded by now, and he's just coming up with every uh, excuse in the book. I mean, apparently he could be sitting out the next couple games for them. You know, we're taping this on a Sunday night, so we don't know for sure. But well, um, and yeah, it is it is outside the realm of his norm because he's not a guy who sits out with you know uh, bumps and bruises in the past it's outside the norms of what he tried to establish at the beginning of the season when he first came back it's outside of the plan that he told us last week I mean he just the story keeps changing that's what I mean like I would just it's such a that's toxic well that's where you want to just like run the other direction and say I want no part of you and to be clear I still understand that this is the only leverage he has and so I understand why he has to sit out if he really wants to get out of Minnesota but there's a way to go about it without sounding this condescending and or delusional and Jimmy is just like in his own world right now um additionally on Minnesota I've you put me on the spot with all this, but I, I'm reminded just now hearing you talk about this. There was a point when I was at Grantland when the Wolves were the worst team in the league. And for one or two days, I was lobbying like Bill Simmons and a couple of the other people who ran Grantland to let me go spend six months in Minneapolis to do oh, a, no. a series on, on life in Minnesota. Because this is it was going to be like, minnesota versus miami because like that was back when lebron was in miami and so i was gonna be day in and day out with the minnesota timberwolves and um thankfully i'm I'm picturing like fargo season three (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i also i'm not sure how much there would have been to say after like three weeks out there so thankfully that idea was not approved or either that or i sort of let it drop after a couple days but um the other thing with washington as I think about low expectations, while you were talking, I checked my Twitter mentions and someone pointed out that after the first quarter, Steve Buckhands, the Wizards announcer, who was basically like a family member to me, but Steve Buckhands came out and said that after the first quarter of Wizards Knicks, he was like, that's the best defensive quarter the Wizards have played all year. And I watched it live, so I did a double take at this as well. And it was they held the they held the Knicks to 17 points, and it was treated like a a real breakthrough for this Wizards team after holding Damian Dotson and Trey Burke uh, under wraps for like 12 minutes. And so that's the type of thing that I'm talking about. Like it doesn't take much for Washington to buy back in. So I think they they are ultimately the winners. 
Yeah, well, I hate to tell you this, but I was actually watching the third quarter of that game, and uh, is it Kara Lawson who's doing the color for them now? She is, yes. She, she she had like a five-minute explanation of why defensive effort level comes and goes in waves during games because, uh, what do you know, they weren't able to sustain that first quarter defensive effort through the entire game, and she was trying to like break down why this can happen. Oh, um, man in a very professional and you know above board way from her and I you know I I commend you know, they're really doing the lord's work can you imagine <laughs> having to do tv I mean like it's bad enough we get onto these 20 minute riffs about the wizards at the drop of a hat even though we're supposed to have an embargo yeah. but imagine if it was our job 4 hours a day <laughs> 3 days a week to talk about a team that's playing like that it'd be impossible Not I mean only I would that. be I losing mean, my mind you're contracted by the team so I think ostensibly you have to at least remain neutral and and probably shade closer to optimistic and positive. And uh, that's a really tough job. At least I have the freedom to throw up my hands and be like, fuck this. Like, I'm out. Uh, but it's, it's harder when you're the official team announcer. So um, Godspeed, Kara Lawson, and Steve Buckhans. Ben, today's episode is brought to us by Lightstream. If you're like most of us, you have a balance on your credit cards and a higher interest rate than you would like. Why not turn those balances into one monthly payment at a lower fixed interest rate and start saving money? Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 6.14 APR with auto pay. Ben, tell me a little bit more about Lightstream. This is just a logical product and service, Andrew. They will get you a loan between 5000 up to $100,000, and you can use those funds to consolidate your credit card debt at a much lower interest rate, saving you lots and lots of money uh, over the course of the next few years. It doesn't really get much simpler than that. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a great interest rate and no fees. Plus, Andrew, they're a division of the Sun trust bank that's one of the nation's largest financial institutions and on top of that it's got the word trust in the title so there you go now you can have complete peace of mind with all of your financial decisions thanks to lightstream that's right open floor is the basketball podcast that's also here to help with your personal finance so our listeners can save even more with an additional interest rate discount on top of lightstream's already low rates the only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash open floor. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash open floor. And you are subject to credit approval. Rate includes 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash open floor for more information. And ben, Andrew, I really appreciate you for spelling that out. Lightstream.com slash open floor. Lightstream.com slash open floor today. All right, let's get back into it. Andrew says, hey guys, we've all profited from getting in early on the Giannis Inc. IPO, but now I need more. Tatum and Donovan Mitchell and Luka Doncic already have high stocks so there's little profit margin available there who is the next under the radar exciting player ready to make that Giannis leap do you have any thoughts Mm. here any nominations Ben 
No, you go first. This is very interesting. Look, I already handed out the winner with Giannis. Okay, so I'm taking full credit for that. I was Wait. able to talk you. I was able to talk you into the a board seat on on Giannis sink as well. But I'm taking full credit there. Uh, what is uh, your recommendation? Okay, first of all, I'm not gonna let you take credit for Giannis in any. I shape discovered or form. him. Um, I was there in the gym in the third division of Greece. <laughs> so. I am all in on De'Aaron Fox, who we talked about last week, and so we don't need to double back. And, and But uh, I just love him, man. I mean, granted, a little bit of a reality check with a 35-point loss to Giannis and the Bucks uh, Sunday afternoon. But I watched almost the entire Hawks-Kings game on Friday night, which is a little embarrassing to admit out loud. But... De'Aaron Fox is so good, and he's so he's fast, he's strong, he ha- hits those little floaters in the lane. The dude is going to be a star, and I think that he is. There are still enough people out there who think De'Aaron Fox sucks that you could actually make some good money on Fox stock right now. So that is my nomination. Get in early. Let's ride this train to the top. The thing we knew about him before the draft, and I think we actually both said this, is like whether or not he is a star on the court, he's got the moxie type and the confidence and the charisma off the court to be a star, right? So it was like, can he just like work around his lack of a jumper and his small frame defensively like enough so that he can wind up being the type of guy where it's a Lillard effect or a Donovan Mitchell effect uh, or a young Derrick Rose effect where all of a sudden he's a guy who not only is like your best player, but he's somebody who could rally a community. You know, I don't want to like swing too far, you know, like huge wide directions based on two weeks of gameplay, but uh, Sacramento has needed that player for a decade. They needed it so badly. They were talking themselves into DeMarcus Cousins being that kind of a guy, right? Like, <laughs> so, I mean, to me, the, the sky is the limit. I'm curious though, because with Giannis, uh, a couple of years ago, I was making, you know, fairly outrageous at the time claims like, okay, he's going to be the heir apparent to LeBron as the King of the East and all this. Yeah. What is Fox's ceiling in your eyes? Are we talking five all-star games? Are we talking, uh, all NBA level point guard, better than John Wall. I mean, you know, down the road, obviously. I mean, how would you frame the his ceiling? Yeah, it's interesting, and it, it, Giannis is even an interesting example because he's a guy who everybody looked at and said, "All right, he's an incredible athlete, but like, how far can that really take him?" And I think what caught a lot of people by surprise were his intangibles. I mean, he really kind of developed that killer instinct by like year three. And then you could see it on the court. He, and, and now he does. He just wants to maul people every night. Um, and Fox has those same intangibles, which is a really good sign. And as an athlete, he's almost, I mean, I don't want to put him on Westbrook's level, but I do think he could be kind of John Wall. And John Wall with the right intangibles should be an all-star for 10 years and, and will make some all-NBA teams. And, and that... I think is not necessarily, I wouldn't call it a realistic outcome. That's still probably like the most optimistic timeline with De'Aaron Fox, but that's what I would bet on just because I kind of have a good feeling about him. Um, and I do think like Wall with the right intangibles is an amazing player. And so that I think is what Kings fans should be excited about. And the other thing I would mention is that he's already further along physically, like he's stronger than I think 
I expected after watching him last year, but watching him against Trey Young the other night, it was like two guys in two different leagues. I mean, and it's only been a year of NBA development, but Fox already looks a lot more filled out than I would have guessed. Nice. So so I have two uh, nominations that came to mind. Look, they're not going to have the same... Uh, you know, Q rating as a Giannis. Yeah. Uh, but two of the young guys that I, I'm really interested in, I think I've mentioned them both before. It's Wendell Carter uh, in Chicago and Jaron Jackson Jr., Trey J., whatever you want to call him. I think he should just be called Jaron uh, in Memphis. <laughs> now, here's a free idea to Bulls bloggers. Just do a roundup of every single basketball nerd on the internet gushing about Wendell Carter Jr. Because, look, there's always an arms race among the basketball intelligentsia to, like, out-compliment each other other (laughs) when it comes to young guys. And Carter is, like, in prime position for that because he plays on a terrible team where they're so bad that the only people who actually talk about Uh, watching Bulls games are trying to impress other people by mentioning that they're watching Bulls games, Uh right? So it's right in that sweet spot. But when you watch this guy play basketball, man, is he so smart. He's so good defensively. He's so versatile. I love his offensive game too in terms of how he plays with other players. If they ever get talent there kind of around him, he is going to be really, really special. And I, you know, Andrew, I just can't wait to rank this guy so high on like the top 100 of 2023 that your head explodes because you're like, no, he should be 30 spots lower. All, you know, he's got Al Horford type numbers. Uh, But then I will get the the pats on the back from all the true basketball nerds out there (laughs) saying, yeah, good job. You really nailed it on Wendell Carter. Well, okay. Um, Here's the thing. I have to, I, I agree with you in a sense because Wendell Carter Jr. He's not only appealing to basketball nerds, but is also appealing to like the old school shoe leather journalists because I think he is probably the best <laughs> quote of anyone under 25 in the NBA. Although De'Aaron Fox is probably up there too. But Wendell Carter, I swear to God, every media organization on earth has run a like big Wendell Carter profile in the last six months and there's not that much to talk about but he's just such a good interview that people want to feature him so he's got not only the basketball nerds but the old school media people in his corner which is a win my problem though and this also applies to jaron jackson jr i'll let you make your case but his game is just a little bit too boring to ever really hit it big he's gonna be in the horford zone at best Like, that's his best-case scenario. And Al Horford now is one of the 15 best players in the NBA, and I still can't really bring myself to care about him. So there's a ceiling on how high his stock is going to go. Oh, look, Andrew, I found Giannis. You know, I went halfway across the world to find Giannis. (laughs) Now you want me to find a second Giannis, and it has to be an entertaining player? Come on. I can't believe you're with a straight face. You're taking credit for finding Giannis. God damn it. You're the worst. (laughs) Anyway, I these are mostly young guys who I'm intrigued with. I'm I'm kind of twisting this question a little bit, right? Yeah. Now, in terms of Jaron, as I'm going to call him, one name Jaron. Obviously, the foul trouble stuff is a real issue. Have you ever seen those workout videos where like guys are learning to play through contact and they're getting hit with like these like plastic long tubes? You know, like the same kind of things you would like float on oh, in yeah, a pool, yeah. like floaties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
What we need to do is basically get uh, a bunch of guys with those floaties to just like smack Jaron during his offseason workouts for like four hours straight every time he commits the foul. So we like train him not to foul people because really once he learns to just not be so quite so hyperactive and, uh, you know, reachy and bouncy on the defensive end. Uh-huh. I do think he's going to have a really high ceiling in terms of, like, intrigue. I mean, the guy is pretty uh, athletic. He's really long. You're going to get the dunks and blocks, but it's not going to be the empty calorie, like, JaVale McGee-style uh, dunks and blocks. And that might be a bad example because he's having a pretty good start to the season. But you know those guys, uh, like the Dwight Powells of the world, where it's like, okay, cool. Like, you're dunking and blocking, but, like, what is the end goal here? Like, sure. I think Jaron Jackson can be a guy who's got real substantive, big, high-impact play while also making, you know, a number of highlight real plays on both ends if he just gets a little bit more disciplined. So in terms of my long-range future bets, he's on my list. Okay, I agree with you, except that I need to push back on the idea that Jaron is going to be an acceptable nickname for him. (laughs) Jaron is just not distinct enough. Like, do you realize it's just too boring? It would be like people calling John Wall just John. I mean, like... Jaron is too normal. He's it's not Kyrie, not Draymond, not LeBron. It, it would be like people calling Damian Lillard Damian. Like it just doesn't work. Okay, look. Bottom line, he's not Madonna. He's not Rihanna. I get it. Okay, <laughs> but guess what? If you want to follow him on Instagram, do you know what his username is, Andrew? What is guess it? what? Instagram.com slash Jaron. Okay, so he's already <laughs> laying this groundwork. Either him or his people (laughs) are on the same wavelength as I am, and he could get there. No, I I hear what you're saying, though. It is becoming a more common name here uh, in recent years. But look, if Jalen Rose can be Jalen, can't Jaron be Jaron? Jalen was distinct when it started, and it was such a good name that it now has become ubiquitous. I don't think someone in 2018 could pull off the jalen one name distinction because there are like 25 guys named jalen uh, but shout out to jalen rose so um i don't know we'll have to figure out the jaron jackson jr name situation it does seem Look, like hey, memphis has embraced what's, triple j what's more egregious me trying to claim discovering Giannis, or you pretending that jalen rose is listening and you're gonna give him a <laughs> shout out like you guys are best friends like come on man <laughs> did i tell you jalen actually there was a bit of controversy during the finals last year when i started floating the idea that kevin durant could leave the warriors Jalen thought that that was his take and that I was stealing his take from him. I had never heard him say that, but there was there's like a, a morning of kind of joking controversy back and forth between Jalen and me. You know, I'll just say directly to Jalen because you're listening. Jalen, look, he's taken a lot of my ideas and turned them into columns 24 hours later. So, hey, I'm, I'm with you, man. And look, go blue. That's all I'll say. That's right. Go blue. And big weekend with Chris Weber back at Michigan. How'd you feel about that? Um, well, I'm I'm liking this playoff matchup, Andrew. I don't know. Like, if you go just phase by phase of the game, and you're looking at the top four teams in the country right now, do you think anybody is more complete than Michigan football? Aren't we in the position where we should be considering them the number one team in the country? Best all-around team? <laughs> so you really started to say that after the 42-7 to Penn State win, and uh, I'm concerned that at least part of you – really believes that Michigan has a shot against Alabama. 
And part of me, <laughs> we want Bama, Andrew. We've been saying that for two weeks. No, the I, I will say this: it was a strange feeling as a Michigan football fan to just be disgusted that we lost the shutout. Like it was forty-two to zero, and I was like screaming at my iPad, "Hey, Jim, like put back in the first-string defense. Let's keep this a clean sheet." Like now, I was thinking back to like four or five years ago where. You know, it's like, can we please just beat Western Michigan? Like, it would be so embarrassing if we lose this game. Like, you know, the 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 amount of improvement this season compared to previous years is ridiculous. Yeah, it is big. Just understand that you're going to lose to Bama. I start here, you talk about, like, the possibilities in the playoff. Like, you never know. We've got the best defense in the country. And that I now understand how you feel when I start throwing out Wizards possibly making the finals like let's see what happens in <laughs> at the end of may you know can't write them off like look i'm not gonna deny it when the success went straight to my head i can't deny that all i'm saying is look you know Tua, let's see you do it in snow okay come up to the big house <laughs> in, in december or january and then let's see how well you're able to uh, you know throw in a 40 mile per hour gust maybe get a taste of big 10 football in the trenches See how that goes for you. All right, and we will keep it moving. we got to talk League Pass. But first, Ben, today's episode is also brought to you by Mac Weldon. Uh, Mac Weldon's mission is simple, to make sure all your basic needs, underwear, shirts, socks, sweatpants, they're all smartly designed, and shopping for them is easy and convenient with Mac Weldon. Ben, tell me about your Mack Weldon experience. I'd say this. I mean, Mack Weldon is a 12-month-a-year brand. There's no question about it. I mean, they've got stuff for every season. But wouldn't you agree with me, Andrew, that this time of year right now, this fall getting into winter season, is really when Mack Weldon thrives? Because it's all about the comfort factor. I mean, they've got so many sweats. You mentioned the socks, the underwear. They're going to keep you warm, but they're not going to overheat you. But they're also going to keep you looking sharp. I mean, this is the kind of gear where, you know, your comfortable attire can also just be your daily attire. You can roll around in Mack Weldon head to toe, and no one's going to say, oh, that guy's dressed in sloppy. He's a bum. They're going to say, wow, he's really <laughs> rocking those sweats so nice. Is that a merino wool sweater? I mean, wow, that's a real high-class sheep that made that thing happen. That's what Mack Weldon does. It's this nice combination of affordability, great value, comfort, and then stylish looks. Yeah, let me tell you something, man. Uh, Over the years, doing Mack Weldon reads on this podcast, because it started, we got some free products to try. I have since doubled back and become a full-fledged Mack Weldon customer. And you're right, we are firmly in Mack Weldon season here. Uh, So... I just got a new shipment. I'm now part of a special VIP Mack Weldon Blue Club where you get free shipping. (laughs) So, um, yes, check it out. All their products are uh, antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. It's all great stuff, and it does look good. You're comfortable and also stylish at the same time. So... The important part here, go to MacWeldon.com and enter promo code FLOOR at checkout. You will get 20% off your first order. MacWeldon.com, enter promo code FLOOR. It's good stuff. 
The great thing is the website's so easy to use. You just log on, you browse, you're not overwhelmed with hundreds of different products that don't make sense. It's exactly what you're going to expect from a clothing company that really brings it. There's no weak links, Andrew. This is a deep rotation of quality outfits. Go to MacWeldon.com, enter promo code FLOOR at checkout for 20% off. MacWeldon.com, promo code FLOOR. All right, let's move on. We got to talk Lakers, and we also have another quick question. We're almost a month into the season here, so Sonny says, do you guys have any amended league pass rankings for me? The Sixers' rough start has me down on watching them. While I'm curious to see if the Kings can continue their play, the Hornets also don't look half bad. What do you think a couple weeks into the season? Um, and so, Ben, I think that we should do this. We should break this down by by putting forth like an amended top five after the first couple weeks here. That sounds good. Well, um, do you have any objection the Lakers should be number one? I think I had them in my top three, if I'm not mistaken, before the season. But I think the Lakers are a clear one for this season in terms of pure entertainment like, you know, appointment viewing, like if you don't watch the game, you've got FOMO. Like, I feel like that's where they're at right now. Yeah, there's no question that the Lakers are number one. And I think you had the Warriors number one on your list um, back in mid-October. And And you were mad about it, but that's still looking pretty good too, man. Like I wouldn't have, I would not have Warriors lower than two. And yeah, you had Warriors at number one Basically, I think even you admitted it at the time. This is me on my high horse, and I'm just up here in my ivory tower demanding that everybody recognize the greatness in Golden State. But even you kind of admitted that it was sort of like a cop-out. Golden State, to their credit, have really lived up to it and earned that number one spot. The reason I think LA has to have the edge right now is because the Lakers are so bad that every game they play ends up being close until the final minute. Whereas Golden State is so good that even when they're playing this kind of basketball nirvana, they like the game is still over by midway through the third quarter, and that's not as fun, particularly if it's like 1 a.m. on the East Coast and you're staying up. But the No, no question. Look, I mean if I have to break out the like Steph should go for eighty two, they should try to score hundred and seventy points in a game column in October, bad sign. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas the Lakers, I have to say, man, I can't not watch this team. I mean it's Sunday night, and so we're recording this during Lakers Raptors, which is hard for me because I wanna watch LA and part part of it is I'm watching as a hater half the time I'm watching to see them kind of collapse and see the cracks start to show but um they're hypnotizing no matter what when it, when it's good it's great and they are as fun as any team in basketball and then when it breaks down it is pretty ugly and uh and kind of fascinating in a whole other respect no, they've got absolutely everything. I mean, first of all, your nephew's left-handed dunk the other night against the Blazers was filthy. Yeah. One of the best highlights by anybody in the season. But you mentioned all the close games. Is there like barely competent approach in late games also part of the fun here? Like LeBron's been missing all these free throws. Rondo has just been brain farting left and right in crucial moments. 
but then every once in a while, like they, you know, they hit a big three, somebody comes through and kind of like saves the day or LeBron will, you know, do his little takeover mode in the last minute or two, but they've had some really strange turnovers in key situations as well. Like, I feel like the whole games are just like incredibly entertaining. And then they're all distilled into like the final three minutes of chaos where literally anything could happen and it wouldn't surprise you. Yeah, it it is. uh, It's great. And honestly, every Lakers game is so exhausting that I come away and I'm like, first of all, it takes me an an additional 30 minutes to fall asleep because there's just adrenaline running. And then uh, I... I ultimately like breathe a deep sigh and I'm like, wow. So we're going to just be keeping this pace going for the next five or six months. I'm curious to see how long it lasts, but even against Portland where they had control of that game and it looked like they were going to win going away and it was going to be the best one of their season. But then, you know, you look up and it's the fourth quarter got a little interesting there down the stretch and Rondo is closing for some reason. And it's just like, there's never a dull moment, and I have to commend them because they have been even crazier than we expected. Right after L.A. and Golden State, to me, would be Milwaukee. Yep. And look, I've always viewed myself as kind of like a frugal traveler. I don't need to, and no frills. You know, I'll stay at like the you know the the budget hotels off the side of the freeway. I don't care. I don't need anything fancy. That's, that's but every not once true. In a- Hold on. <laughs> Let's be very clear with your hotel choices. You stay wherever you can get the most <laughs> reward points, and you plan meticulously oh, that's, six to that, nine that months That is in not advance. true. That's not true, because you get more re- reward points for spending lots of money, and I'm very frugal, okay. and I, I take care of the purse strings. <laughs> but look, I every once in a while, I will splurge once I've got the points in my possession to stay at a nice place. And I was thinking about this watching the Bucks the other day, because one time I stayed in this hotel in London, and like the whole bathroom was like marble and it was like a chessboard and you walked in and it felt like a museum mm-hmm. and I like the whole room you just like didn't want to mess it up it was like too nice have you ever had that feeling like in a hotel where you're just like I don't even know if I can sleep because I don't want to like disturb the way they've like put together like the sheets I, like it, yes. it's all everything is like very carefully manicured there was a hotel i stayed at on my honeymoon where i definitely walked in and was like whoa i feel like i'm in a museum and i'm actually uncomfortable this is so nice so that's how i feel watching the bucks and that's the only reason why it takes a little (laughs) bit away because andrew they're like too perfect (laughs) they put up 144 i think tonight against sacramento yeah and they're hitting like 20 plus threes like not like a regular basis but they're just jacking so many threes everybody's hitting them Giannis is putting up 35 point triple doubles middleton for all of my overhyping of middleton for the last three years it's like all arriving (laughs) right on schedule the record is just unbelievable Everything that I told, uh, by the way, not only did I call Giannis being a, a breakout player, but I told you way early that Coach Bud was the right coach for the Bucks, and you kind of pushed back last year, and you finally came around. You know what? Coach Bud has exceeded my wildest expectations there too, and you can go check the tape on that one, by the yes. way, because I actually did say that. People who listen closely to the podcast will probably note that I end up being right about most of the bigger picture things no, on this podcast. Come on, you were no, I, it's true, but. You were right about Coach Bud in a big, big way, and I assumed that that Bucks roster was just too broken to really excel. But even if we go back to the preseason podcast, I was complaining about the wings, and you said, you know, Coach Bud has traditionally been 
pretty good at getting the most out of guys like Tony Snell. And that's exactly what's happening a month into the season. So credit to you, credit to Coach Bud, your version of a five-star hotel. Uh, they have been That's fantastic. what I'm saying. I, I, I can't really enjoy it. It's like too perfect. Like, can we, I don't want, I'm not rooting for anyone to get injured. I'm not rooting for like a three-game losing streak or anything like that. But it's it's like exceeded my expectations to the point where like I almost have to take them in doses. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, I'm just going to like sample these guys for like two and a half quarters. And then it feels so good. It's like going to be taken away from me. And so I don't stick with them through the whole game. So that's my only asterisk on them. But I think they've got to be top three. I mean, to me, I don't know who's been more fun um, or more of a revelation than Milwaukee. Yeah. And I would fill out the top five with the Raptors and Ugh, the really yeah uh, they're the no look the Raptors are really fun to watch if you actually sit down and watch them play because they have great chemistry play really fast Lowry is bombing threes and then you also get these little four and five minute interludes where Kawhi takes over and um and that's great too in a completely different way so I I really do enjoy watching the Raptors and I wait. You said a four or five minute interlude, or are you saying Kawhi takes over every four or five games, or or how often is he playing? <laughs> well, listen, for people who are not privy to my communication with Ben, he, the complaints about Kawhi's rest policy are already pretty robust. And in a, every every couple of days, I hear about Kawhi's rest policy. Like, look, there, there's there's baseball starting pitchers who pitch up more often. <laughs> Than Kawhi plays. He's on a five-game rotation right Let now. him live. He's playing MVP-level basketball. Um, and I think that they have a place in the top five, in part because some of the other teams are, are not quite there. I, I would say Raptors four, Nuggets five, just because the Nuggets, when they're good, are so good that uh, you can't help but love them. But then like teams like the Sixers and Celtics have been kind of disjointed earlier. So we may have to check back in January to see where they actually rank. I agree on Sixers and Celtics. They both have would drop out of, I think I had them top five preseason. They would both drop out. I think I would have Denver four. I'm struggling to think of my five, my fifth right now, because even a team like Utah that I usually like pretend to like more than even I really <laughs> yeah. do like. Uh, they haven't really played up to that level. Uh-huh. What about New Orleans? I mean, New Orleans has the same issue with AD missing some time as Toronto does, but I think New Orleans got a case for being more entertaining um, style-wise than the Raptors. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, w- look, when Anthony Davis is healthy, then sure, I think they might win just because of AD. Um, you know who else is like sneaky entertaining, and they actually might be the team I enjoy mo- uh, watching the most from the Eastern Conference? Who? The Atlanta Hawks is that crazy, man? I'm I'm I kind of like. I mean, look, Trey is not an every game player. Let's just put it out there; like he is not a <laughs> night to night guy where you can just bank whatever he's going to do. But when Trey has a role, he is really really fun to watch. That's the thing; it's very tough because you don't know what Hawks game or what Hawks team you're getting every night because Trey against De'Aaron Fox. He looked like he was 15 years old. And Fox was great on defense, too, and was chasing him off the three-point line. I think Trey only got one three off in that Kings game, and it was just a mess for Atlanta. But then he comes back a couple days later, and he I think he had 24 and 15. And when Trey has it all working, you're like, holy shit, this guy is the future of the NBA. He's amazing. And so I'm with you on the good Trey nights. I would not put them in the top 10 because... 
I just don't want to jinx anything. Like I think I think there are going to be some peaks and valleys in Atlanta. I would definitely have them top ten, maybe top five is a stretch. I hear you on Toronto. I mean, of of the uh, top Eastern Conference teams, who has the best uh, entertainment value at this point of the season? I, to me, there are leaps and bounds above Philly. Um, Boston, you know, Indiana's actually been pretty pesky no, and interesting, and, and Oladipo <laughs> hit that nice shot the other night. But again, I'm not tuning in for the Pacers as often as even as I'm tuning in for the Hawks. And like, I had the Hawks way, way low. So again, this may be a case of overcorrection, like coming into the season. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of nights where I'm just like, oh, the Hawks are playing at you know four o'clock Pacific. I'm in. Let's just start the evening this way and see what trades up. Yeah, to. we should also give some love to Kemba Walker and the Hornets because they have been a lot more fun than I would have ever expected. Um, but Seriously, they're almost in the Blazers category for me now, where it's like, I know what Dame can do, I know what Kemba can do, I don't need to see it yeah, again. Yeah, but like the know? Blazers, they are not quite good enough to ever blow a team out, but they're good enough to be in every game. So when you tune into a Portland game, like you know you're going to get a good game, and same is true with Kemba and Charlotte. And I just think that there's more there than I expected. I would have had them in the mid twenties and now I would have them in the high teens, I'd say, or, or I guess like 10 to 15 range um, is where I'd put Charlotte. But anyways, this is all I'm getting a, too nerdy. Yeah, no, it's fine. I, I also would say, and like I opened the podcast talking about all these terrible teams, I have found myself really gravitating towards the train wrecks early this season. And I don't know if it's because like, I'm just realizing that like if the wizards keep going down this path, like (laughs) they're going to be unwatchable by February. So I might as well tune in now. Uh, But I've been watching a lot of their games, the Timberwolves. I've been waiting to see, you know, like, you know, what craziness is going to break out uh, on any given night with them. And also another sleeper for similar reasons as, as with Trey in, um, Atlanta would be Dallas with Luca, and I got a chance to see them in person in LA. Yeah, but I've also been tuning in. There's some weird dynamics going on there in Ma- in, in, with the Mavericks, man. Okay, so we've gone longer than expected. So let's let's close out with Mavericks here because we got a email from Kirk who alluded to exactly the dynamics that you're mentioning. He says, "Newsflash." The 7-Eleven employee is also the best Mavericks player. Luka is the best player, and it's not really close. The problem is that everyone else, and particularly Dennis Smith Jr., are getting treated as if they are on the same level. They are not. During his 31-point outburst a few weeks ago, you could see Luka mutter, give me the effing ball in the second quarter after he went minutes without even seeing the ball. His teammates look him off constantly, and it's truly bizarre. He might not ever be an all-star or whatnot, but the Mavericks need to come to grips with the fact that Luka is their future. And um, that's a dramatic reading for me because I love Kirk. Kirk is a friend and also like the internet's foremost Luka Doncic zealot. And I think there's something to what he's saying. There was that clip over the weekend of... DeAndre Jordan stealing a rebound from Luka and in the background you could see Mark Cuban watching it happen and getting it looked like he was getting a little pissed off about it um 
What did you see in person? I'm not even sure that was a, a theft, Andrew. I mean, I think that was something worse. That was grand larceny. I mean, he like poked the ball above Luca's hand to ensure that he wouldn't be able to get it. It was as <laughs> if to like rub it in his face that he was doing. Yeah, it. I think it was technically battery because he also shoved Luca in the back of the <laughs> like neck. So it was it was a strange deal. But I don't know. What are your impressions from seeing that team and being around them during that Lakers game? Well, my first impression regarding Kirk is just I wonder when Child Protective Services is going to step in. I think he's got a three-foot-tall tattoo on his his like four-year-old son's back of a Luka Doncic <laughs> jersey. I don't think that's allowed even in Texas. I don't know if Kirk lives in Texas or where he lives, but I think someone needs to call the authorities yeah, there. It's concerning. First of all. There's no question. No, it's deeply, deeply concerning. Second of all, you know, you were asking earlier, what are some stock tips to, you know, you're you're selling, you know, or you're buying uh, Deer and uh, Fox stock and saying he's going to be this big superstar. Everyone should short sell Dennis Smith Jr. stock. This guy is bad. He is just not <laughs> very good at basketball. And it's going to come out over the next 12 to 18 months. Everyone's going to have an awakening that he's bad. He makes poor decisions. He takes poor shots. He's not a great shooter. He has very limited feel as a initiator of an offense. I don't think he's anything special defensively. I don't see a lot of leadership intangibles. He's got no real understanding of how to play off of Luka. Yeah. It's very much my turn, your turn type stuff. And, uh, you know, I don't want to call him like a full Moutier, but I do think if, <laughs> if, if, if you're Moutier. Dallas – if you're a Dallas and you want a tank commander, like if you're trying to lose to kind of like, you know, replenish your youth stockpiles, I think he's a great guy to have on the court to ensure you lose basketball games. Dennis Smith Jr. will take you to the top of the lottery. There's no question about it. In terms of the Luka dynamics, mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like he's got much of a rapport with DeAndre Jordan, obviously, even though he's force-feeding DeAndre all day long with lobs. You would think of all the players on that team who should like Luka it would be DeAndre. It uh, doesn't seem like he really has much of a chemistry, you know, built up, uh, you know, with Dennis Smith Jr. Or, or maybe even a Wesley Matthews, who's, who's had a really high usage to start this season. It's kind of perplexing down there. I'm wondering, though, and here's another one of my theories. You know, I have these theories, Andrew. Yep. Uh, he was a big-time star in Europe, right? Like, there was that movie about him and, uh, you know, the other – uh, you know, Balkan NBA players that came out over the summer and like the movie opens with Luca stepping out of a bright blue, uh, blue Lamborghini, just like, what's up? You know, this is not your typical, <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> like, this is not your Dirk Nowitzki, like, hey guys, I'm like fresh off the plane. I have no idea how the NBA is going to work. Like, can you, you know, please welcome me into your family? Like Luca's arriving as a full-blown superstar, like cultural icon uh, in his home country. And He's definitely cocky. Yes. You know, there's no question about it. He's definitely uh, accomplished in a way that a lot of other, you know, rookie players aren't. He's, you know, very, uh, you know, determined in terms of, like, how his game is going to translate. Like, he doesn't have any doubts about that. He's trying to play his game. And he's also, I noticed in person, Andrew, very comfortable with media attention. Like I always go down there and get my Instagram game on before the story, you know, take pictures of guys warming up and like, you know, going through their workouts and all that. Yeah. 
And Luka's like already smart enough to know that he should feed passes to Dirk Nowitzki in front of all of the LA media because that will allow people to take shots of them together and then that will go viral because it's Luka and Dirk and here they are, you know, like the, the past of the Mavericks franchise and the future of the Mavericks franchise. This guy is like very savvy. He gets it. And I think he also understands like five years from now, he's going to be a big time star in his eyes, right? Yeah. I could see why average NBA guys would be like, wait a minute, man, you need to earn this. And this was something that I thought actually happened, you know, with David Blatt as a coach. And so that was my theory. Is Luca getting some of the same like anti-European David Blatt sentiment that uh, Blatt experienced when he came to the NBA? Because, you know, Blatt's talking about being a fighter pilot. Yeah. And, you know, he's won all these titles overseas and people need to respect him. He's not a rookie coach and all this. And I, I kind of wonder if there's a parallel there with Luca. You know, Luca's probably in his head thinking, I'm not a rookie. You know, I've been playing uh, professional basketball for five or six years. Meanwhile, guys like Wesley Matthews are saying, you know, get a pink backpack. You're a rookie. Go get me some donuts Dude, before practice. You know, the Blatt parallel is a very perceptive uh, observation because. I do think that there's some of that there where Luca does kind of look at his past. He doesn't feel like he has anything to prove to some of these guys, and he should. And and this is one thing where, like, I'm very pro-international basketball, but, like, I don't blame any NBA guy who looks at the Euro League and is like, all right, that, that's not the NBA. That's a completely different thing. It's basically college in, in the eyes of someone like Wes Matthews or DeAndre Jordan or any of the guys who are allegedly like not that impressed with Luka. And, um, and because it is basically college, like it's a significant step down from the NBA. And that no matter how much we want to talk about how Luka played in the second best league in the world, like there is a large gap between where Luka was playing, where guys like Nick Calathis are stars, and where the NBA is right now. And so um, I think that the Blatt thing is probably part of it. And Luka is also just sort of cocky by nature. One of the things that I'm most interested in watching over the next month or two is like, A, how real this is and whether the problem actually gets worse from here or, or continues to linger. And if so how does Dirk handle it? Because Dirk was a guy who was very high on Luka early on in Dallas and would be the perfect guy to step up and say, you guys need to cut the shit and start passing the ball to Luka because he's our best player. Like That's a very easy thing for Dirk to do, and it doesn't seem like he's done it so far. And like you said, like I talked to Dirk about his first couple years in Dallas. Like He was super humble and had to have like Michael Finley, I talked to him about how the rest of the team had to convince Dirk that he was the guy and that he needed to be taking the shots. And so he's a completely different kind of character than Luca has been thus far. And so maybe he's rubbed the wrong way too. And that's, I don't know, the whole thing is going to be really interesting to watch over the next month or two. You know, it's funny. Your international story, you know, was mentioning all of the different people who are out there kind of employed to help these guys make the transition to the NBA. Like, wasn't there somebody who's like helping with their passports or like helping with like getting, uh, you know, visas for family members yeah. and like making sure they can kind of like come over and all that? The NBA almost needs to hire like an ex player liaison to like teach these star European players how to act in an NBA locker room. Cause like, look, 
Luca loves Jordans and he loves rap music. Like we've already seen that. Like he's he's halfway there to being able to bond with these guys perfectly, right? right. But there's still some like cultural gap there missing where you know, you have to come in and, and you know, if whether it's saying things, whether it's like how you handle yourself in practice, whether it's, you know, doing the uh, the annoying rookie chores, carrying bags, like whatever it might be, he's clearly not doing something and he's getting that pushback and maybe he feels like he doesn't need to do it. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's let's read this 2000 word tell all Kirk and Kirk's son. Can you guys commission um, you know, this, uh, inside look to the Mavericks locker room, like, please just like keep pushing all the Dallas beat writers to dig into this. Cause I would like to see what it is, uh, and why he's chafed these guys. Cause clearly he's, he's not doing something or he's doing something he shouldn't. Yeah. Be. I think some of it is a little bit natural. I, I, I mean, here's what I would say. But it's not his game, though. That's the thing. Like, on the court, he doesn't take that dumb of shots to me. Yeah. His shot selection's okay. He gets himself into some situations turnover-wise where, like, he thinks he's going to turn the corner. He just doesn't do it. And then, he, you know, he has to, you know, pass the ball away, and it goes the other direction. Like, that does happen. And that would frustrate me if I was some of the vets. But there's a lot of guys on that team with worse shot selection and worse decision-making than Luka Doncic. Yeah, I mean, it's not his game, but it is his personality from what I've heard. I mean, one of the guys I talked to before the draft, one of the worries with Doncic was that he thinks of himself as a future superstar and MVP-type player, and he's not going to be that good. He's going to be more of like a third star, and this is in the words of someone else, not me. But... um and how he handles that is going to be kind of an adventure. And people weren't sure how he was going to handle his NBA realities. And so, like, it is a concern. Um, what I would say, though, I think the dynamics in Dallas are also kind of screwed up, where a lot of people look at Luka as if he's, like, the next Dirk or the next Giannis. And I think it might be healthier to chill out on some of that um, because – He's not necessarily, he doesn't necessarily have that ceiling. And I don't blame some of the existing players for being like, like, relax. Dirk wasn't Dirk for the first three years of his career. Everybody just chill. We don't need to be force feeding this guy. Um, But if you're Luca and you're confident, I don't blame him for wanting the ball either. So I kind of understand both sides if we're talking about players, I understand some of the veterans for kind of balking at this, but like Luca, a lot of great players have come into the NBA believing in themselves and believing that they should take the last shot. And they kind of take heat for it early on. I mean, some of this even happened with LeBron in Cleveland, where apparently he rubbed Cavaliers teammates the wrong way. And, um, and Kobe certainly had the same reaction for with various Lakers teammates and other guys around the league. So like, some of it just comes with a territory, but I, I guess what I would say is I understand both sides of it. Yeah, I mean, with some of these guys, like I can kind of get it. Like DeAndre Jordan, he spends the first, what, eight years of his career answering questions about Blake Griffin and Chris Paul, right? Yeah. Like day in, day out, tell us about Chris, tell us about Blake. Do Chris and Blake get along? How awesome is it to be part of Lob City with Chris and Blake? What makes Chris so special? What makes Blake so special? And at some point, you're just like, enough is enough. And those are with guys who were already established. So for him to get like a, a fairly, you know, sizable payday last summer in terms of, you know, like his his salary, not a long-term deal, but still a nice deal. 
And then he has to come and I'm sure he's being besieged by Luca questions from like totally. the day training camp starts. <laughs> because part of this is just the media too. Like the media is more and more fixated upon superstar players and rising star players than it's ever been before, yeah. right? So if you're going out there, you're losing games regularly, and then all anybody wants to do after the games is ask you, Luca threw you two lobs. How great is it to get passes from Luca? Like that would get a little bit it, old, exactly. right? Exactly, and, it, and, it, and that's kind of what I mean with the the Dirk Giannis stuff. Like, just calm down with the Luca hype. I I don't think we're there yet, and maybe we will get there in a year or two. But it just isn't healthy for anyone, and um, and maybe it's unavoidable. But I think I think part of it is compounded by the team itself because the team itself has so much invested in Luca that they need him to be that level of superstar. And there are probably people within that organization who need this to work at that level. And this is the team that did pass on Giannis and, and they kind of, tr- they were hoping to right that wrong by trading up to go get Doncic. And like, it's, it's a big no, bet. It, it, it's a great point. Like if out. you've been playing, yeah, if you're playing there for Rick Carlisle for five years and he doesn't say a single nice thing about any player on your roster for five years because yeah. he's just a grunt, a Grinch, and then all of a sudden this season uh, opens up and he's talking about how Luca's like the most skilled rookie he's ever seen and all this other stuff. It's like that would be like, wait a minute, wait, what's happening here? You know, and I'm sure Cuban is doing the same thing after every game, probably going back there checking on Luca. How's Luca doing? What's up with <laughs> totally. Luca? How you doing, Luca? I mean, it it would it would definitely get annoying. Here's one piece of advice for Luca. Yeah. As you're trying to win over your locker room, don't pull a John Wall and go out and buy Rolexes for every guy on the team and just pretend that's going to be leadership. That's not going to be leadership. That will not be enough to keep everybody on your squad, you know, five deep rolling with you. You're going to have to forge real personal connections with your teammates. Just buying them a watch is not going to do it. That's a great point and a great place to wrap up. Uh, I actually, we should we should do two podium questions, but... It's true, Luca. No matter what, if you just avoid making the choices that John Wall has made over the last three or four seasons in Washington, you will be fine. The Mavericks will be fine. Um, so on that note, let's do podium real quick, Ben, because we had two uh, corrections from the last podcast. Number one, Hank wrote in and said, I have to take issue with Ben's comment in the November 1st episode Embiid is not really the same impact guy he was last year. That's a direct quote from you. And um, Hank was one of probably 15 or 26ers fans who wrote in pushing back against our Embiid analysis. What do you have to say for yourself, Ben? Well, I am very proud to report that despite all of the uh, perceptions of Sixers fans out there being very hard-headed and stubborn and you know not willing to listen to logic, Hank and I were actually able to hash this out very quickly in an email exchange. No names were called. Everyone's back on the same page. Wow, now, okay. When, when I am talking about uh, Embiid's impact, you know, I basically was looking at the numbers and saying, last year when he was on the court, Philly is plus 11. This year when he's on the court, and this was as of, I think, Saturday, uh, Philly is plus 5. And then they just took a pretty ugly loss to Brooklyn. So I imagine that's going to you know drop probably even more. Yeah. Um, so that's not necessarily saying Embiid's a worse player. I understand he's got really nice, especially box score stats this year. But if you're looking at, and also, by the way, their defense, the last time I checked, had dropped from third last year to eighth this year, right? So last year, the version of Embiid we got was 
a one-man elite defense all by himself very consistently every single time he was on the court, and also uh, a foundational piece of the best five-man lineup in the league, the highest efficiency. Then they're running guys off the court with their starters last year, right? And Bede has been very good this year. This isn't necessarily knocking him individually, but when he's on the court, Philly hasn't had that same major positive impact. And you can blame Fultz. You can blame the combination of Fultz and Simmons together, you know, shrinking the shooting. Uh, You can blame some of the other issues that we've mentioned in terms of, you know, the, the lack of the other shooters that they've lost or just their overall chemistry, a slow start, whatever you want to attribute that to. I'm not saying Embiid's a worse player than he was last okay. year. I'm just saying like through the first two or three weeks of the season, he hasn't had that same big impact that directly correlates to team success. And actually one other really interesting point to look at here, Andrew, is uh, Rudy Gobert with the Utah Jazz. Because last year, the Jazz were plus eight with Rudy Gobert. This year, they're only plus five when he's on the court. And you look at their record, they're right around 500. Um, you know, you look at Philly's record, they're just a little bit over 500, right? So those were two teams that we really expected to be uh, elite contender type teams this year in their respective conferences, you know, potentially top two, three seeds, both those teams. And they may still get there. But so far, what we're seeing across the league is offense is way up, you know, pace is way up, all these other things that we've talked about in terms of no one's really playing defense. And you're seeing a team in each conference in Philly and Utah that relies heavily in terms of its identity on a defensive-minded center. Uh Both those teams are maybe struggling a little bit more than we expected, and both of those players are not having the same level of impact on games that they did last year. Is this a coincidence? Is this a short-term trend that will work itself out over the course of the season? I'm not sure yet. I'm not really uh, ready to weigh in definitively on either one, but I do definitely think it's something worth tracking here. That is really interesting and impressive. You doubled down, and I appreciate you for it um, because I – Look, first of all, my number one takeaway from the the weekend of Sixers complaints that we got was I'm really proud of how closely everyone is listening to these episodes because I would have pushed back against what you were saying had I been paying attention to what you were saying about Embiid not being the same impact guy he was last year because I do think he's he's a better player than he was a year ago. Um I agree. I'm not. I'm not saying he's yeah. not. Just to be clear, like this is a it, this was based from like a number disparity that has changed from this year to last. Totally. Year. I just didn't even hear you say it on the last podcast. Um, the well, that's no surprise. Nothing new. But it is funny that you know Brooklyn drops Philly by 25 after we get 72 hours of Sixers <laughs> totally. hate mail. It's great. It's well, great. I love look, it. Look, I mean, Joel Embiid also went for I think 39 and 15 against the Pistons to beat Detroit almost by himself on Saturday. Um, so he's great. The plus minus thing is interesting because I think ultimately what you're talking about to me, my takeaway is that plus minus is not necessarily the most reliable statistic when we're talking about value, um, and it's something that we use a lot with guys. I think because it's easy to understand. Um, But what I would wonder about is who Joel Embiid is on the court with this year versus last year, because I think that is probably part of it. Um, But no, look, I'm, I'm willing to say it's a Fultz issue. I mean, I think he's screwing up a lot of stuff and the combination of Fultz and Simmons together really changes their look and it's going to impact anybody else who they're sharing the court. It's going to change their impact numbers. But I guess my point is, 
usually plus minus net rating for superstar level guys, it's very clear, yeah. right? If you've got Steph Curry on your team, and like if you have Joel Embiid from last year on your team, if you've got Rudy Gobert on your team last year with Utah, those guys are just clearly pulling almost whoever they're playing no with question. to to big positives. And we're just not quite seeing the same thing this year. And I'm not necessarily blaming them. I'm saying it could be a product of these philosophical things. Uh, or it could just be we don't have a big enough sample size and we're not to, to Thanksgiving yet where I'm going to really start you know, drawing some conclusions. But it's something to yeah, watch. Yeah, it's an astute observation. And typically when you double down and refuse to apologize to listeners, I kind of roll my eyes on this on this side of the conversation. But I think there's something to it, particularly with Gobert, because Gobert is not having the impact that he was a year ago. And um, we'll have to kind of wait and see. But just watching the Jazz in in limited spurts here and there, I just haven't been very impressed. Um, and uh, and I think that's real. And it, it would make sense that as the league changes and becomes this like souped up version of basketball, guys like Gobert and Embiid are not going to be as impactful defensively. And uh, that was a huge part of their value last year and the way we explain their value. So. It's worth monitoring, and I give you credit. You are not as stupid and hard-headed as I sometimes assume. Well, here, put it this way, too, Andrew. Everyone who wants to direct Philly-related rage at me, put it back where it belongs on Markel Fultz's shoulders. No. I am not going to let you direct listeners to bully Markel Fultz. Absolutely not. Um, I'm just saying they're projecting anger. Like, this is not the same team as last year. Sixers fans are upset. I understand it because they got sold a, a bale of goods, right? They thought this team was going to be, you know, Eastern Conference Finals for sure, future Titan with Boston. I completely understand it. I'm all in on Ben Simmons. I still think he's going to be, you know, future top 10 player. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was going to be an all-star starter this year. They haven't been that team. Andrew, that's not my fault for saying that. It's some of the guys in the rosters who are playing on the court during a lot of crucial moments and maybe even getting starters treatment that shouldn't be. No. <laughs> where that that's where a lot of this criticism should fall. Okay. First of all, I believe it's a bill of goods, not a bale of goods, a hay bale of goods, all right, all right. but you're the best. Um, uh, I'm I'm glad you're listening carefully for there once. We go. That's good. Thank you for that correction. Uh, Brett says I'm a longtime listener from Down Under, and I was just enjoying the latest podcast on my Monday morning commute to work. Sadly, my morning was ruined by one of my favorite basketball podcasts, Dual Failure on NBA History and General Basketball Knowledge. I mean, how can Wizards aficionado Andrew Sharp not recall all the glory of Andrew Gaze's seven games with the 1993 Washington Bullets? And this can only be rivaled by Spurs fan Ben Golliber not remembering Andrew Gaze's 3.1 points per game on the way to a title with the 1999 Spurs. It's almost as though Andrew Gaze picked the two teams that gave him the best chance of being remembered by the Open Floor podcast. And yet, here we are. So obviously this is a follow-up to our Australian power ranking segment and we apologize i think i mentioned that andrew gaze never played in the nba i believe technically he played a total of like 
30-something games um, in one season in This is what I mean with these, these Australians, Andrew. Come on. You don't need to apologize. This is re- ludicrous, ridiculous. Okay, you're correct. Andrew Gaze played in the NBA. Congratulations. Yes. There might have been a few other more important players on both those teams that you mentioned. But the problem with the Australians and how much they love their players, Andrew, I can't tell if he's serious or if he's trying to be snarky and sarcastic. Like, I really am concerned that we ruined his day no, no, no. based on that email. <laughs> I'm fr- I think it's very possible. I, I'm pretty sure I mean, he might Brett be tongue-in-cheek. He's but- just hanging out. He's, he's just messing with us. I think he might be really angry at us, Andrew. It seemed like it. But uh, you can always count on the Australians. Once you think you've reached their limit for national pride, they will just re-raise and re-raise and re-raise. There's no <laughs> end in sight to how much they're willing to stand for their guys. It's pretty yes, incredible. And we're now getting tagged in Andrew Gay's highlights. Apparently, he's a coach in Australia now, and um, someone tagged us in a tweet that he was cursing out his team in the middle of a huddle. I think Andrew Gaze is is similar to like the Charles Barkley of Australian hoops. I really liked him at the Olympics. He's a talkative guy. Um, so congrats to Andrew Gaze. And, um, yeah, well, we just hope his team plays with more honor than the Australian national team did <laughs> when they tanked that game against the African nation and you know Andrew Gaze and I had to get into a little back and forth on Twitter about it okay let's just hope they play honest every single night they're not trying to just give up free dunks and and not run plays on offense there you go well on that note everybody go vote in America's elections on Tuesday um and that's actually a complete non sequitur but go vote if if you haven't already and then I will talk to you soon, and uh, we'll get... (laughs) On that note, here's something completely (laughs) unrelated. Andrew, it was great chatting with you. I really enjoyed this, and the emailers once again came through with so much heat. It really made our job easy, didn't it, Andrew? So go ahead, guys. Keep emailing openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. We really appreciate all your fact checks, your pronunciation checks, your... Uh, you know, your wannabe fact checks, your Australian standing, yeah. whatever it might Andrew be, Gay's history. bring it our Hit way. Us up. Oh, yeah, Andrew, go ahead, email us, <laughs> you know, Mr. Gaze. We'd love to hear from you. We can go round two about Australia's ethics as a basketball program. And, Andrew, people can also check us out uh, on the world famous radio.com and also Apple Podcasts. Go find our page by searching Open Floor. That's two words. Uh, scroll down a little bit, it'll say Rate and Review tap five stars we really appreciate uh, those ratings and also leave us a positive review if you would uh, that makes our our hearts sing hey andrew until later this week i will talk all to right you. man another great edition of open floor is in the books did you know locked on has a daily podcast for all 30 nba teams if you're a lakers fan search locked on lakers a celtics fan search locked on celtics warriors fans search locked on warriors Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.